is the wedding garment. And uh, I would like to read to you from Scripture what God sees when he looks into his Laodicean church. I am reading from Revelation 3, verses 15 to 18. God says, I know thy works, <clears throat> that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So, then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel of thee to buy gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now this brings us to our text, which is found in Revelations 19, verse 7 to 9. And in these verses, we will discover that there is a small company within the Laodicean church who have heeded this counsel and availed themselves of the righteousness of Christ. Listen carefully. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and then these words, and his wife hath made herself ready. Isn't that wonderful? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Some years ago, when our daughter was small, Lori was about ready to enter the seventh grade, we knew that it would not be long until she would be going off to one of our academies and then to college. Education can be very expensive, especially on a minister's salary. And so her mother and I talked it over and decided that it was about time for her to earn a scholarship by selling Life and Health magazines. We devised a very simple introduction. Since she began to show interest in clothes, like all girls do about this age, we presented her with a plan that we felt would get her interested in earning a scholarship. We ordered some of the Life and Health magazines I believe that now they are called Vibrant Life. And we told Lori that for every dollar that she earned 
by selling magazines, we would give her an additional dollar so that at the end of the summer she could go on a shopping spree and buy whatever she pleased, of course, with mother's approval. Let me tell you, we were not disappointed. At the end of that summer, Lori had made a hundred and fifty dollars, to which we added a hundred and fifty dollars. Now that may not sound like too much in these days, but remember back there, money was worth almost three times as much. I'll never forget her excitement as she and her mother went shopping together. All summer long she had sold her magazines in a business area where there were department stores, and so she had picked out various items that she wanted to purchase with mother's approval. Needless to say, our daughter was always appropriately dressed, but better still. She discovered that summer that she could sell magazines. Looking back eight years later, she had earned a full scholarship every year, including the academy and the college years, having sold some 35,000 single copies of our health magazine. But let me get back to the urge to be well-dressed. Every normal individual wants to wear good apparel. Every Christian wants to cover his or her body in a manner that is becoming to Christian standards of morality. No Christian in his right mind would want to appear before God improperly dressed. Yet the true witness to the Laodicean church declares that there are those within the church who are totally unaware of their wretched appearance. Not only are they miserable and poor, but they are blind, so blind that they are actually unaware that they are naked. God's last day servant tells us how such a thing could take place. I'm reading from volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 84. The knowledge of our state, as God views it, seems to be hidden from us. We see, but perceive not. We hear, but do not understand. And we rest as unconcerned as if the pillars of cloud by day and the pillars of fire by night rested upon our sanctuary. We profess to know God and to believe the truth, but in works we deny him. Our deeds are directly adverse to the principles of truth and righteousness by which we profess to be governed. Now, how in the world could this be possible? In Review and Herald, August 7, 1894, she explains, What is it that constitutes the wretchedness, 
the nakedness of those who feel rich and increased with goods. Then she tells us, it is the want of the righteousness of Christ. In their own righteousness, they are represented as clothed with filthy rags. And in this condition, they flatter themselves that they are clothed upon with Christ's righteousness. Could deception be greater, she asks? You may have already been a bit agitated over the description of those within the church as being naked. But let me tell you, our precious Lord is also agitated as he looks at his professed people, for he wants to do something about this condition. In the book Steps to Christ, page 53, we read, Christ is waiting to strip them of their garments, stained and polluted with sin, and put on them the white robes of righteousness. He bids them live and not die. More than this, Christ advises us to take certain steps that will place upon us the proper clothing that will cover our nakedness. The problem is, we do not see, for we are blind, because we have not surrendered our wills to the Savior. The fact is, Christ does not live within the life. Such individuals do not possess his perfect character, which he developed while on earth as a human being, but which he offers to us as a free gift. The majority within the church today like to believe that everything within the laity is ship-shape and all is well. They like to read an article like you find in the review of March 20, 1980, in which it says, in spite of what some would have you believe, there is no internal upheaval or major crises in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What a sham in the light of what God says. Such words from the structure sound good, but if you would suddenly become blind and naked, would you not consider this a major upheaval in your life? I'm sure you would you would immediately scramble to put on some clothing and rush to the doctor to get your eyesight restored. Remember what we just read? Our condition as God sees it is hidden from us. So we perceive it not. We hear his voice describing our condition, but we do not understand. No astute observer of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in these days would dare to deny the upheavals and shaking within the church, for many are naked of God's garments. They want God's way, but they want it their way. Let me come straight to the point. I'm going to read to you from Christ Object Lessons 
page 311. Quote, When Adam and Eve sinned, the covering of light, God's clothing, disappeared. Perceiving they were naked, they tried to fashion clothing for themselves from fig leaves. And this is what the transgressor of God's law have done ever since this time. They have worn the garments of their own devising by works of their own. They have tried to cover their sins and make themselves acceptable to God. But God cannot accept us if we wear our own clothing. For our clothing reveals our nakedness. Without the divine clothing that God has provided for us, he cannot save us, for we are spiritually unclothed. This is exactly why God could not save the Jewish nation when Jesus lived here on earth among them. I'm reading Desire of Ages 280. This is what proved the ruin of the Jews, and it will prove the ruin of many souls in our day. Thousands are making the same mistake as did the Pharisees when Christ reproved at Matthew's feast. Rather than give up some cherished idea or discard some idol of opinion, many refuse the truth which comes from the Father of light. They trust in self and depend upon their own wisdom and do not realize their spiritual poverty. They insist upon being saved in some way by which they may perform some important work. When they see that there is no way of weaving self into the work, they reject the salvation provided. This is why God has declared of Laodicea, Thou art wretched, thou art miserable, thou art poor and blind and naked. Naked? Because they are following man's divisive teachings instead of being clothed in obedience to God's word. Now it's time for some vital questions. What is God's clothing? And how do we put on this clothing? How do we keep it clean? These questions must be answered, for we are about to enter the new earth, and no one will go there if they are naked in God's sight. Let's discuss the clothing first which is designed by God to be worn so we will not be naked. Usually this is spoken of as the robe of Christ's righteousness. But many have overlooked the fact that Christ's righteousness consists of two articles of clothing. One, the robe of Christ's imputed righteousness, and the other, the wedding garment of imparted righteousness. And both garments 
must be worn to be acceptable in God's sight, so will we so we will be approved for heaven and someday sit with Christ on his throne. So first let us take a look at the garment which we call the imputed righteousness. This lovely gift from Christ, when placed upon us, provides us with forgiveness and justification before God, because we are now covered with Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness, which is but filthy rags. Now, as we examine the fabrics of this garment, we find it to be imputed meaning to attribute vicarious righteousness. Well, I hear you say, but Brother Nelson, those are big words. But it simply means that the condition of the sinner is now assumed by another, which Christ called a born-again experience. For when we are clothed with Christ's righteousness, we can then stand before God justified as though we had never sinned. And this condition gives us a legal right to possess heaven because it legally satisfies the requirements of God's eternal law. Thus the robe of Christ's righteousness provides us with both forgiveness and justification by faith. Now, when this has taken place in the sinner's life, he is now in a position to put on the second article of Christ's righteousness, which is called the wedding garment. This is also a gift from Christ to the forgiven sinner, and it is imparted to sanctify, to make holy the person's character. This is clearly explained in the following chapters of Christ's Object Lessons, beginning on page 307. In this, she is talking about the wedding garment. Here we are told that the articles of clothing is called a garment the robe of heaven. And as you examine the texture, it is referred to by Ellen White as our characters. Let me read it to you. Christ Object Lesson 319, in which it says, It is in this life that we put on the robe of Christ's righteousness. This is the only opportunity to form characters for heaven, which Christ has made ready for those who obey his commandments. You see, the moment we put this garment on, we begin the sanctification process, which, if consistently followed daily by faith in Christ, we shall be recognized in God's sight as perfect, making us fit to live in heaven with him. Now, perhaps you have never thought of Christ's righteousness 
in these two separate garments. But note with me how inspiration indicates that there are two garments, for it is always referred to as being in the plural. For instance, in, second, in, in Steps to Christ, page 53, I'm reading, he is waiting to strip of their garments, stained and polluted with sin, and put on them the white robes, you notice that's in plural, of his righteousness. Again, I'm reading from Review and Herald, July 9, 1908. Only those who are clothed in the garments, that's plural again, of his righteousness will be able to endure the glory of his presence when he shall appear with power and great glory. So in comparing the robe of light which surrounded the first sinless parents to the garments we must put on, Ellen White has stated, and I'm reading now from page 311, the robe of light was a symbol of their spiritual garments, plural. Again, speaking of Christ's willingness to clothe the repentant sinner in Great Controversy 415, Christ could stoop to raise multitudes from the abyss of sin and clothe them with the spotless garments, again it's plural, of his righteousness. Back to Christ Object Lessons 315. Clothed in the glorious apparel, plural, of Christ's righteousness, they have a place at the king's feast. They have a right to join the blood-washed throng. Did you catch that phrase, apparel of Christ's righteousness? You notice the plural was again stressed. Since Christ's righteousness involves two garments, we should be very careful to be sure that we are clothed with both garments because he's coming soon and unexpectedly. In Revelation 6.15, he tells us, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, plural, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now I believe you can plainly see that the righteous garments which Christ provides are, one, the robe of justification which is imputed to the repentant sinner, and the second, the wedding garment of sanctification imparted to those forgiven and justified and willing to cooperate with Christ in the development of a Christ-like character. In Review and Herald, June 4, 1895, righteousness within is testified to by righteousness without. He who is righteous within is not hard-hearted and unsympathetic, 
but day by day he grows into the image of Christ, going on from strength to strength. He who is being sanctified by the truth will be self-controlled and will follow in the footsteps of Christ until grace is lost in glory. And now, in clear words, notice what we are told. The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. The first is our title to heaven, and the second is our fitness for heaven. Oh, what precious gifts God has made available to us, especially to those longing to be saved. We should be proclaiming this message of Christ's righteousness and justification and sanctification everywhere we go. For this is indeed the third angel's message. In Testimonies to Ministers 92, all power is given into his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a very large measure. Christ's righteousness, both justification and sanctification is the clothing necessary to be worn by a candidate for heaven. This is God's prescription for naked Laodicea, and it is a prescription to be taken by the individual, not the structure. Let me read that, Great Controversy 490. The work of preparation is an individual work. We are saved not in groups, though all nations are to pass in judgment before God. Yet he will examine the case of each individual with as close and searching scrutiny as if there were not another human being on earth. Everyone must be tested and found without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, when God says Laodicea, he means you and me, for we are the church. Let us carefully consider our individual spiritual condition, for the scriptures tell us that the majority within the church are unaware of their personal condition. Remember what I read? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Remember, we have all sinned. We must never forget what happened to our first parents who sinned. 
in Christ Object Lessons 311, when Adam and Eve sinned, the clothing God provided for them disappeared. Naked and ashamed, they tried to supply the place of their heavenly garments by sewing together fig leaves for a covering. And this is what the transgressors of God's law have done ever since the day of Adam and Eve's transgression. They have worn the garments of their own devising by works of their own. They have tried to cover their sins and make themselves acceptable to God. This is why God is permitting a shaking which is now taking place within the church for the purpose to awaken the sleepers to their nakedness and to wake up and put on the clothing that God is anxious to provide so that we may stand before our God fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ, justified and preparing unto perfection by a sanctification process. We are to be arraigned in the garments of heaven. Revelation 19.8, in the fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. You remember, his wife hath made herself ready. Now I have no doubt that most everyone listening to me has experienced the effects of wearing the first garment. For you have repented, I trust, of your sins and have been forgiven. And by faith you have believed in Jesus Christ who has justified you before his Father as though you have never sinned. So there is no question you have received the imputed righteousness of Christ because you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. But what about this second garment which has to do with our character? In Christ Object Lessons 310, it is the righteousness of Christ, his own unblemished character, that through faith, is imparted, meaning given, to all who receive him as their personal Savior. This imparted gift will transform our characters, making our characters Christ-like. In Mount of Blessings, page 18, righteousness is holiness, likeness to God, and God is love. It is conformity to the law of God, for all his commandments are righteousness, and love is the fulfilling of the law. Righteousness is love, and love is the light and the life of God. The righteousness of God is embodied in Christ. We receive righteousness by receiving him but not by painful struggles or wearisome toil, 
Not by a gift or sacrifice is righteousness obtained, for it is freely given to every soul who hungers and thirsts to receive it. The scripture says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, that he hath no money, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat without money, without price. Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Character has to do with our moral constitution, our peculiarities, our qualities. If Christ is to conform our characters to his character, we must therefore partake of his divine nature. In Selected Messages 1, 374, in order that we may have the righteousness of Christ, we need daily to be transformed by an influence of the Spirit to be partakers of the divine nature. And why is it so important to be a partaker of divine nature? Because by this power we can gain the victory over every sin. Selected Messages 1, 395. He, meaning Christ, makes an end of the controlling power of sin in the heart. For it is necessary that every believer should be delivered from pollution as well as from the curse and condemnation of the law. For Christ works within us, and his righteousness is upon us. Then these words. Without this, no soul will be entitled to heaven. That should cause us to think. So the wedding garment, when worn, gives us Christ's character, and this means victory over every sin. This is why we must bring our characters into conformity to Christ's character so we can stop sinning before he comes. Remember, his wife hath made herself ready. And why not? For sanctification is a gift of God to each one who will cooperate with him. His character is to become our character. Without this garment, no one will be fitted for heaven. And so I ask you sincerely, are we permitting Christ to impart his pure, spotless character, his divine nature to us? Consider with me how sanctification is tailored to fit the individual. First, it is God's gift. It is free for the asking. And secondly, it requires a hard, stern battle with self every day through and by the grace of God. In Christ Object Lessons 331, 
Christ has given us no assurance that to attain perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble, all-around character is not inherited. It does not come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by individual effort through the merit and the grace of Christ. God gives the talents, the powers of the mind. We form the character. It is formed by hard, stern battles with self. Conflict after conflict must be waged against hereditary tendencies. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely and to allow not one unfavorable trait to remain uncorrected. Let no one say, I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. For the impossibility lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot. The real difficulty arises from the corruption of an unsanctified heart and an unwillingness to submit to the control of God. We have a perfect right to the imputed righteousness. This garment of justification gives us a title to possess heaven. But in order to possess heaven, we must have a fitness for heaven, which is sanctification. Right here, I would like to pause for a moment and point out that this is the difference between the Seventh-day Adventist Church and all other Protestant churches. The other churches claim to have received the imputed righteousness, that is, they accepted Jesus, therefore they are forgiven and they are justified. They have only put on the first garment. But the Laodicean Church of Christ is to put on both garments. Not only are we to have a title to heaven, having received forgiveness and justification, but we are to put on a wedding garment tailored to each individual so that our humanity can be combined with divinity. Are you grasping this mighty wonder? For as it was experienced by Christ, so it may happen to you. In Selected Messages 1, 223, Christ's humanity was combined with divinity, and in this strength he would bear all the temptations that Satan could bring against him, and yet, keep his soul untainted by sin. And this power to overcome he would give to every son and daughter of Adam who would accept by faith the righteous attributes of his character. Praise God. Can we comprehend such a gift? God giving us power 
the same power he gave to his son, we too then can live above sin if we will permit the sanctification process to develop within us a Christ-like character. Let me put it in these words. When the imputed righteousness of Christ is received by the repentant sinner, it is then possible for Christ to impart through the Holy Spirit his pure, spotless character to the believer. Thus, placing the wedding garment upon him. So it is that we become partakers of divine nature, which enables us to overcome just as Christ overcame, having developed a perfect Christ-like fitness for heaven. But the problem of Laodicea is an alarming problem, for so many seem to be content with only the robe of forgiveness and justification, giving them a title to heaven. But friend, a title to heaven is worthless until we take possession of heaven. And possession of heaven involves a fitness for heaven, an experience obtained only through the sanctification process. We all agree we have been born with a sinful nature, but given the wedding garment tailored to our perfection by divine nature, we can possess a power to overcome as Christ overcame. Here's where new theology and the truth differs. The new theology would have you believe that because you inherited a sinful nature, you are going to sin till Jesus comes. This is a most dangerous and damnable teaching that is being promoted by the devil himself. But God, through inspiration, has given us both the imputed and the imparted gift of righteousness so that when the latter rain is poured out, total victory over sin will be given to every saint who has already experienced the imputed righteousness of Christ. This explains that quotation so difficult to understand by many in which we are told in Christ Object Lessons 283, the obedience that Christ rendered God requires of every human being today. Since his power of divinity is to be ours, a word of caution is now in order. In Acts of the Apostles 561, let not God be dishonored by declaration from human lips that I am sinless, I am holy. Sanctified lips will never give utterance to such presumptuous words. And then again in Testimonies to Ministers 506, if we do not progress, <clears throat> if we do not place ourselves in an attitude to receive both the former and the latter rain, 
we shall lose our souls. The ripening of grain represents the completion of the work of God's grace in the soul. By the power of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the moral image of God is to be perfected in the character. We are to be wholly transformed to the likeness of Christ. But, I read in Testimonies to Ministers 509, unless the early showers have done their work, the latter rain can bring no seed to perfection. As we seek God for the Holy Spirit, it will work in us meekness, humbleness of mind, a conscience dependence upon God for the perfecting latter rain. You see, the seeds of grain must have received the former rain to germinate and continue to mature. They must be watered by the latter rain until the characters are perfected in Christ-likeness. It is encouraging to learn from Steps to Christ that such growth in Christ is as effortless and natural as the growth of flowers. Bible Commentary 127 Let no one despair of gaining the victory. Victory is sure if self is surrendered to God. I like that. That tells me that I can do it and that you can do it. But we must depend on God and not on man's word. For we must have heaven's robes upon us to cover our nakedness. Great Controversy 470. The scripture plainly shows that the work of sanctification, sanctification is progressive. When in conversion, the sinner finds peace in God through the blood of atonement, the Christian life has just begun. Now he is to go on into perfection. Therefore, let us recognize that God has placed both justification and sanctification in their proper order. Both are of faith and both are necessary in God's plan for saving man. Remember, the nakedness found in Laodicea is largely because of an improper understanding of justification and sanctification. The vast majority are satisfied with forgiveness and justification only. They feel no need of sanctification, of developing Christ-like characters. May God help each of us who have listened to this message to lay hold on and to put on the robes of justification and sanctification. For we cannot continue to hold on to one sin 
and be saved. Our commitment must be inclusive, absolute, and complete. Only those will be able to say with our text, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, <clears throat> and his wife hath made herself ready. <laughs>